Good to see a great time of worship. It's a blessing to be able to pinch hit and cover uh, this morning's message. It's a real blessing. If you know my wife and I, you know that uh, our main thing here at New Life, we've been blessed to be here a long time. We actually met at New Life, got married, and uh, we found our niches with small groups, helping people to take their next step. And I love, uh, like this New Year's Eve, we had five people get baptized up here, and behind them were five mentors. And that's, that's what we're all about, trying to help people grow, get involved. Uh, I first walked into a church when I was 18, and it is different and didn't understand it all, but helping people to take those steps, coming to Christ, growing, and uh, getting baptized, getting involved in relationships, serving, finding their calling, and then reproducing their lives in other people. So that's the main thing we do. But now and then, it's great to have a chance to, to bring a message and uh, when you occasionally preach, the great thing is you can save up an idea. So there's, there's one verse that's been in my mind for several months. I just can't forget about it. And uh, as soon as I was asked to take this Sunday preaching, I thought, I want to talk about that verse. And it ties in with this season for us. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you about this. Actually, one sentence that Jesus said when he was fasting and under a lot of stress. So we're going to look at that. And the whole goal of this, I'm going to tell you right up front, I want to motivate you to be willing to do something during this prayer and fasting season, to take a step. It's real quiet. Some of you are like, I don't like this guy. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just challenge you. I'm not telling you what to do. Here's what I'm going to do at the end of this message. I'm going to ask you to take a couple minutes and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is there anything you want me to do with prayer and fasting? Because it can change your life. I'm telling you, when we started this, it was a number of years ago, actually in the 90s, Pastor Mark uh, had a sense, as he often does, from the Lord that this is something we should uh, start at our church, a time where we uh, have a season of prayer and fasting. And at first I was like, ah, fasting. Couldn't we pick something else, like volleyball or something? I mean, why fasting? I mean, it's in the Bible, but not many churches do it. And, but we did it. And I started kind of out of a sense of just duty and obligation. But I'm telling you, it changed my life. I feel like the Lord uh, did things inside of me uh, that he hadn't done before. It was like a deeper cleaning, and there was some stuff there I wasn't aware was still there. It changed me, and I'm telling you, it can change you. And there's something about doing it with other people. It's easy to say, yeah, I'll do it later on my own. You probably won't. There's an encouragement. There's a power together. So I want to encourage you to be willing to take some sort of step. Uh, and I'm going to talk today about why we should fast, okay? So before we get into that sentence, though, <clears throat> let me uh, mention a couple famous stories that uh, kind of get at the same theme that uh, are familiar to a lot of us. My wife, uh, every Christmas, every December, she likes to watch the same few movies. Anybody like that? You got your Christmas movie list? Some of you have that? So I never had that before, but we got married. My wife was like, we're going to watch these movies in December. So the first year, it was cool. And the second year, I'm like, I already seen these movies. I don't want to see them again. There's no suspense. I know what happens. But it's a big deal to her. And in marriage, you got to go along with your spouse, right? As much as possible. So we watched them again and again. And I've opted out of some of them, but some of them I still watch with her. And I've watched some of these probably close to 28 times since we've been married 28 years. And one that I really like that kind of ties in with today's message is A Christmas Carol. If you know that, it was, of course, a book. It's been made into a movie many times. It's about this miserable old man, Ebenezer Scrooge. He's completely greedy. Even though he has a lot of money, he wants more and more and more. He has no friends. 
and uh, treats people terrible. He's just a miserable guy. And then he has a revelation. He has some visions about the future. He kind of gets an eternal perspective and he changes. Essentially, he repents. He becomes a different person, kind, generous, and loving. He shows up at a Christmas dinner, and I hope I'm not spoiling it, but this is like an old one. You've hopefully seen it by now. He shows up and he blesses people, right? And they're shocked that he's there. We love that story because it's about a changed life. He realizes there's more to life than just money. And then It's a Wonderful Life. We always watch that one. That's a good movie, isn't it? I'm not sure why it's a Christmas movie, but it's, it's good. Uh, we still debate that. But anyway, the, the bad guy there is Mr. Potter. He's the evil banker that has a lot of money, and he has a system to, to keep people in poverty. The good guy is George Bailey, uh, who runs a business. He's honest, and he helps people to f- uh, be able to finance their own home. But it's tough for him. He's got a family. Finances are tight. He begins to crack and lose his temper. And at one point, Potter offers to hire him because he wants to defeat his competition. So he tries to hire him, and he offers George Bailey a huge salary. And George almost takes it, but he backs out because he looks at him, and he doesn't want to become like Potter. So he walks away, and he leaves a lot of money on the table, but he holds on to his integrity, his heart, and his dream. I love that scene. Uh, that, That reflects a lot of things we go through in life. And it ties in with this uh, sentence I want to read from the lips of Jesus. Okay, so let's look at this. It's in the book of Matthew. Now, Jesus has been baptized, and then immediately the Lord led him to go into the wilderness to fast and to go through this process. A little hard to understand. It's kind of mysterious. I mean, Jesus is perfect. He's the Son of God, and yet he had to grow through a process. He didn't need to repent of anything, but he needed to develop, uh, just like he grew up physically So he goes in the wilderness, and and the Lord is doing something in him to prepare him for the ministry he's about to have, gathering people, teaching, performing miracles, all the uh, things he's going to deal with, all the opposition, and eventually the cross. So he's out there for 40 days, and the devil comes to tempt him right at the end. You know, temptation often comes when you're at your weakest, right? And the devil, he's so slick. He's so evil, but so so subtle and slick. He says... uh, hey, if if you're the son of God, why don't you turn those stones into bread? Kind of a challenge. And it doesn't sound like a scandalous sin, right? You could figure, hey, he's hungry. This would help him to eat. He needs his strength. He's a human at this point. He's God, but in a human form. Uh, And hey, if he is a son of God, wouldn't that be a cool first miracle? What a great way to end your fast. Wouldn't it prove something to the devil? But Jesus, he doesn't reason with the temptation. Uh, He relies on the word of God that he already knows. So he responds, Matthew 4, 4, listen to this. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There it is. That's that sentence that's been in my mind for a while. And I want to break that down for you, okay? He says this, man shall not live on bread alone. Let's think about that, okay? Uh, He says, first of all, man, that's just referring to mankind here. It's not something specifically men as opposed to women. So it's it's man. He's uh, going back to the Old Testament where he finds this verse. And then he says, man or people shall not live. Now, there's two types of life. One is just physical life, and one is the the higher life, the essence of life, uh, the life we're supposed to live. 
Uh, this is reflected actually in the Greek language. It's interesting. In the New Testament, was originally written in Greek. There's a word bios from which we get biology. It's the study of physical life. So every creature that's alive has bios. If it's a human, a bird, a fish, a mosquito, they got bios, their physical life. But there's another type of life that is uh, represented by the word zoe, and that's the word Jesus uses here. It's the essence of life, the meaning of life, the purpose of life, our calling. Uh, so, so Scrooge had, had bios, but he didn't have zoe because it was all about himself, and it was, it was a very small life. But at the end of the story, he has Zoe. That's the transition. So Jesus says, you don't live your life you're called to live, the ultimate life, just on bread alone. Now, now bread is, is important, and bread actually refers to uh, all of our physical needs here. That's why in the Our Father, he says, um, uh, give us this day our daily bread, right? It means everything we need, all our bills paid, all our uh, financial needs, food, clo- uh, roof over our head and everything, so bread is kind of shorthand for that. So Jesus says, you don't have the, the ultimate life you should have just by physical means. Bread alone is not enough. So I want you to think about that. And first, think about a, a table with some bread on it, okay? I'm going to call this the bread table. But it represents a physical provision for us in every area, okay? There's a lot to be done here. and We need to work hard at our job and manage our money Got some tortillas here, some muffins. If you want some of this, see me after service, okay? Um, but that represents provision for us, okay? The bread table. We need to manage this and work at it. The problem is we can get consumed because it's so obvious. It's always in our face, and our whole life can be all about the bread table, getting more bread, different varieties, more tasty bread, different spices with it, having storehouses of bread, trading bread. We can spend our whole life there. And Jesus says, you're supposed to have more than that. The other table over here When Jesus says, man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, refers to the word of God, first of all. So we have some Bibles here. And then also I have a a blank notebook, a, a journal, which represents the fact that God speaks to us outside of the Bible. He speaks to us. He has words for us, messages for us, and that's harder to discern, but he does speak to us. Just like he told Jesus, now you need to go into the wilderness at this point. So this represents the Lord speaking to us. Let's call this the soul table, okay? So we have the body table because we have a body. We're super familiar with our body. We're aware of everything every day. The soul, sometimes we kind of forget about, but that that table's real. It's very real, and Jesus says if if we're going to have the life we're supposed to have, we got to eat at both tables, okay? So the problem is that the body table is incomplete, But boy, it looks good, doesn't it? I mean, especially in our culture, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good food, a lot of good things you can buy. It's endless in America, right? And right from a young age, we're trained to be consumers in America more than anything else, right? I mean, everything's a business. And there's great things about capitalism, but there is the the dark side that we're trained just to be consumers our whole life. I still remember when our kids were young, and we have three young adult kids that are amazing kids. And uh, I remember some of those moments, of course, when they were young. And one that was kind of strange, it just stuck in my head when one of them said something. They were six, four, and two. 
And my wife said, let's take them to this event that's at the mall, and the, some of their cousins will be there. And we had never taken them to the mall yet. Now, my wife still went to the mall, right? But she, she said, I don't want to take the kids to the mall. They're too young. It's just not a great place for them. But when they were six, four, and two, there was something going on. We, so we went there, took them for the first time, and come in, and you know, it's pretty overwhelming, right? Pretty dramatic if you had never seen it. And it's so bright and shiny and colorful. And we took an escalator up to the second floor and see all the stores and all the products. And I notice our, our six-year-old daughter, her eyes start to get big. And she's looking around. She takes it in. And then she looks back at my wife and myself, and she says, hey, how come you guys never told me about this place? Like, wow, I've been alive six whole years. I never knew about this. So, wow, see, it's, it's colorful. It attracts you right away. The hard thing is to not get consumed with that your whole life. That's a sad life. Jesus said, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You lost. You lost. Because this, we need this, but it, it doesn't last. Your soul lasts. So don't just get caught up at the bread table all the time. It's an incomplete life. Now, this season of fasting and prayer is partially about this, about turning away from the bread table, turning away from it some so that we can, we can eat at the soul table. It's a little harder to get there sometimes because it's not as obvious to us, but we need it. We need it. So the bread table is incomplete. Uh, this soul table here, you could say it's, it's hidden, but it's very real, Okay. Now, it's hidden. I want to represent that. With this very expensive divider. Cost a lot of money. So this one, it represents a wall in a sense. Now, now here's what happens in life. Sometimes we're at the bread table and there's kind of like a wall because maybe we've just ignored our soul. And maybe we've listened to some voices. There's some people that would tell you, there's no such thing as the spiritual world. That's all superstition. Don't listen to that. We've evolved past that. We're smarter now. Those old myths, don't listen to those. And maybe they've been heard or uh, had heard about some bad things people did in the name of the soul table, and that happens. And maybe they want to write it all off, or maybe just in their pride, they're just more comfortable with, with the bread table. There's some people that are really smart, super smart with bias, but they just don't get Zoe, at least soul Zoe. Some people want to have Zoe. They want to have a higher life, but without God. And so it's kind of vague. You hear about like the Christmas spirit. People want to have these good vibes, but they don't want God to be a part of it. So where do those good vibes come from? I mean, it really seems like it comes from within us naturally. So some people will try and put up this wall, but don't put up with it. The wall should not be there. The soul table is real. It's real. We got to make our way over to it. And that's what fasting is. Fasting is saying, I'm going to back off. I'm going to back off of the bread table a little bit, spend less time there to make sure I get over here. So how do we do that? Well, it's all about our soul. Now, I want you to think about this with me. The word soul, uh, it's really deep. And, you know, the world has a lot of different ideas of it. They're kind of vague and fuzzy. We just watched the movie Soul. I wanted to see what they said. It's a a kid's movie. It's good, but it's kind of vague. It's all over the place. It's okay to watch. It's good entertainment, but they really don't know what they want to say about the soul, okay? So 
that's the way it often is in the Hollywood idea, right? Let's get to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says about the soul. And here's a great thing. If you don't do this, I, I want to encourage you. Simply when you're looking up things in the Bible, it's good to, of course, just read straight through. But sometimes it's good to do a word search. That we're blessed with that opportunity on the internet at our fingertips. You can go to a website. like I like Bible Gateway. There's Bible.com. There's a U version. There's tons of them. And you just go there, do a word search. So I looked up the word soul in NIV. Bam, 95 results. 95. You can go right through there and understand truth about the soul and any other word you want to look up. It's a great way uh, to look, at, uh, look up things in the Bible. So as I was going through that, I wanted to pick out a few, just a few. And I got four I want us to take a look at today, okay? So we're going to dive into the soul. This gets a little heavy, but let's take a look at this. And uh, again, in America, we don't talk about this a lot. We, we talk about the body and physical things a whole lot. We're experts, but the soul is kind of fuzzy, and we're not really sure. It's, yeah, whatever you want to believe. But there's a reality here. So a few of them. Uh, psalm 23, famous psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack any good thing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores or refreshes my soul. He refreshes me. Another version says restores. He renovates it. He, he cleans my soul out. He brings it to a healthier spot. God is the ultimate rehabber. He is the one that can come into a soul that is uh, dirty, maybe moldy, a soul that has, has been beat up, a soul that is damaged. And he never throws it out, but he restores it. He cleans it up. He freshens it up. He can bring it back to the way it was supposed to be, removing shame and replacing it with honor, removing guilt, placing it with innocence, removing despair, and replacing it with hope. He's turned my mourning into joy, right? And he's removed my sackcloth and replaced it with dancing. God can do that if you let him in, right? He can do that. He can restore your soul, refresh you. So we have that part of us that the bread table just can't fix. When you have a soul problem, a, a soul sadness or a soul fatigue, a physical things just don't fix it. You can keep putting stuff in there, but it just doesn't really meet the need because it's a soul problem. So here's another one, Matthew 10, 28. This is a, a tough verse, but again, Jesus said uh, we need to feed on every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Not just the easy ones. So the hard ones are there too. This is a hard one. Jesus said this, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a tough one. Not one of Jesus' most popular statements, right? But it's true. Think about what he's saying there. You have a body and a soul. Someone might kill your body or a disease might kill your body. Something's going to take us out eventually, but it won't kill our soul. I go to a lot of uh, wakes and funerals, and I often remind people that this, this body we look at right here, uh, that, that's the, the shell, and that person has left that body. They're not there anymore. We're not burying their soul. Now, it's hard to think that way in our culture because we're used to focusing on the outward so much, but Jesus is saying that right there. People can do something to your body, but they can't kill your soul. But fear the Lord because ultimately he's going to, have your soul's destiny in his hands. Uh, another one, this is more of a, a hopeful, upbeat one. Hebrews 6.19 says this, speaking about the gospel. 
when we have a relationship with God, it says we have this hope, having a relationship with God through Jesus as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So what that's saying is, is Jesus is, of course, secure. He's in heaven. He made the way. He died for our sins. He's at the right hand of the Father. The, the, the door is open up. The road is there. And we, if we're attached to him, if we believe in him, if we've given our lives to him, we are anchored to him. And that anchor will hold, even when there's storms, we'll suffer sadness and despair. We may shed tears, but the anchor can hold. We don't have to plunge into mental illness and depression and, 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 and addiction and revenge because we're connected to God. There's hope. We don't have to plunge into despair. There's always hope because we know I'm connected to the one who holds the world in his hands. One day, one day I'm going to be with him. I have that hope. You see, a soul that doesn't have an anchor is a sad soul. We, as human beings, we want to attach to something. And if we have nothing, what happens, we, we tend to make up something. People, every culture makes up, if they don't have it, some religion or something to hold on to or some higher cause. Uh, if a country is atheist, then usually the, its nationalism is really their religion, the, the love of the country. Something bigger than themselves, some bigger story that we find ourselves in. Or you can anchor yourself to a person. That doesn't work because a, a person isn't strong enough to give you everything your soul needs. Even in marriage, you, you don't want to anchor to each other because you'll disappoint each other. Your anchor, your source needs to come from God. Uh, our, our souls are very needy. We're needy people, right? We need a lot of love, a lot of respect, a lot of significance, a lot of affirmation, a lot of hope, a lot of help. Uh, we need adventure in our lives. We need a sense of purpose and destiny. And, and another person can't really give all that to you. But if we're anchored to the Lord, his grace is endless. It never runs out. Every day we need, God's there for us. He gives us what we need. And, and then we can love the people around us instead of relying on them for what only God can provide, right? Does that make sense? It really works. By the way, too, uh, as a parent, we love our kids, but don't, don't make your child your anchor. Don't look to your child to fulfill you because that's asking too much of them. It's not fair to the child, and it's not good for the parent either. We love our kids, but we want to teach them to, to rely on the Lord because if it, if it gets too codependent, then there's disappointment and there's anger and deep sadness. So that the only thing that's an anchor for our soul that will really work is the hope of the gospel Jesus, that gets us to Jesus Christ. That's the anchor. It lasts, okay? So one more. Here's a kind of a warning passage. First Peter 2.11 says this. He says, brothers and sisters, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Uh, in other words, this isn't your ultimate home. You're just passing through. Your home is in heaven. He's talking to believers here. Peter, he says, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So there's a war going on for your soul. There's a battle. It's not a, some neutral thing. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean there, there's no battle. He's talking to believers. He says, hey, sinful desires, whether it's pride, greed, lust, uh, rage, anger, whatever it is, the things that are not of God, those can be fed and, and get out of control, and there's a war going on for our soul. You know, our soul consumes things. Just like our physical mouths consume food, 
our souls, in a sense, have, have kind of like a mouth. Uh, a soul's invisible, but the Bible talks about the soul having kind of eyes. Uh, sometimes the word heart is interchanged, and there's prayers that the eyes of your heart may be opened up. Or when you hear the saying like, him who has eye, uh, ears to hear, let him hear. That's talking about the ears of the soul, not just physical ears. But if you, if you get this, if you're willing to listen to this, it's like your ears have, your soul has, has ears. And some people, their ears aren't working very well or they're not willing to listen. But your soul has, in a sense, eyes, ears, and a, and a mouth. Your soul consumes things. Whatever you choose to, to feast on, whatever you choose to love, whatever you choose to give yourself over to, uh, you're allowing that into your soul. You're consuming it. Now think about it. It's kind of a, a deep thought. And again, it's not something that we normally think of in our culture, but it's absolutely biblical is that we are an eternal soul in a temporary body. You realize that? We are an eternal soul. Your soul will go on forever. This body does not last forever. In a sense, God is your landlord. 1 Corinthians 6 says that our bodies belong to the Lord. So think about it as, as God is your landlord. And you live in this body, and you can do what you want, but one day, one day you're going to be evicted out of your body. The Lord's going to say, the lease is up. I need the keys. And for some of us, we might say, great, I'm ready to leave this body. Others will say, no, 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 not yet. I'm not ready. There's more things I want to do, and I'm not ready. And I, I bought some clothes I haven't worn yet. And I just I, I've put a lot of money into this body. I don't want to give it up. But you know what? It's temporary. We got to maintain our bodies and be healthy. But like the Bible says, physical training is of some value, but spiritual training and godliness holds value for both the present life and the life to come. Again, that's why it's good to push back from just feeding the body and say, I need to work on the soul. I need to make sure my, my soul is healthy. Because you see, our body, it's, it's important, obviously, but it's temporary, and we're going to give it up someday. We're going to leave our body, be evicted from it, but our soul is eternal. You'll get a new body in eternity, but you don't get a new soul. So think about that. Who you are, your soul, it goes into eternity. You are becoming someone. What you love, what you're into, uh, the people you're around, the things that you do, um, the way you think, your values, your heart. You're becoming someone, and you're going to go into eternity as that person. Now, things change there, and we don't understand everything that happens, but your, your soul is going to go there. Some people are going to die, and they look good physically, but spiritually, they're not ready. They do not look good spiritually. If we could see our souls, right, it, it would be different. So realize that you are an eternal soul in a temporary body. Okay, I know that's kind of heavy, but that's reality, and, and it's been in my mind as we get ready for this season because it's worth it to work on your soul. Your soul is real. Is there, and there's, there's things you can do to develop your soul as a Christian. Uh, let's get, think a little lighter, a little uh, easier for a moment, but to compare the soul to something else. Think about a house, just a simple house, and you want to maintain it. Uh, there's things that need to be done, and it needs to be done right if it's important. Um, I'm not a handyman, definitely not a tradesman. I, I really admire people that can fix things and uh, do a lot of different trades, I'm just not that guy. So when something needs to be done, I get someone else to do it, especially if it's important. We had some electrical work done at our house this summer, so I made sure I got a union electrician, someone that attends here, a union electrician 
to come in and do it and do it right. And I paid him. It's worth it because it needs to be done right. I'm not just going to watch a couple YouTube videos and try and figure it out. Not smart. Not, not for me. It'd be dangerous. So I get someone to do the job right because it's important. Uh, otherwise, it's half-baked. My wife has called a few of my projects half-baked at times. That's a good word, right? Like, like food that isn't fully cooked. It's half-baked. Uh, and there's some other colorful words that describe that condition, right? Um, I learned a couple new words this summer. I was talking with a few people at church about some project. I can't remember what it was. And we said we don't want it to be half-baked. And a couple of younger adults taught me a couple words. It's good to update your vocabulary every now and then, right? So I want to see if you know these words. Someone said to me they, in this conversation, in this group, they said, you know, when something's kind of half-baked, they said, I call that janky. Janky. I had never heard that word. You ever heard that? Thought, wow, that's, that's different. It just sounds bad, doesn't it? So if you look it up, janky means something with poor quality, unreliable. So if you're not familiar with that word, just try dropping that on a couple of young adults this week, all right? You're talking to somebody and something, they're going to complain about something eventually. Criticize something and just say, yeah, that sounds kind of janky to me. If they look at you like, where'd you get that word? Say, well, I got it at church. <laughs> so janky, I like that because it describes, you just know it, it's, not, it's something you can't count on. Right? If someone did some work on a car and it's janky, you know this car's going to break down. I don't even want to take a ride in it. The problem is we can treat our spiritual life that way. We don't let the Lord come in and really do his deep work. Uh, we, we don't involve other people in our life that maybe are mature Christians that can help us we just kind of throw it together. Watch a little video here. I got a positive idea over there, a little memory, a little song. I just, I have these ideas about the soul. They're just kind of hodgepodge, uh, patched together, don't really put much time into it. And then when a storm comes, my soul, it can't handle the, the pressure and the stress. I crack under integrity and uh, under temptation. I I turned stones into bread and shortcut what the Lord was going to do. Why? Because I didn't put a work into getting my soul fixed right. Another word I heard that's uh, similar in that conversation, uh, someone said, you know, when, when something's done kind of halfway, I call that bootleg. Thought, that's interesting. Now, bootleg's an interesting word. It's had a few lives, right? Way back in the day, it was about making uh, alcohol in your bathtub or something during Prohibition, I think. You hear those stories. And then I remember uh, when I was young, it was about illegal recordings of music, bootleg recordings, right? Uh, but I guess now it has a new life, a, a new meaning, and it means a fake imitation of something authentic, right? Jesus said at one point to his disciples, he said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In a way, he was saying, watch out for the bootleg spirituality. It looks like the real thing. Uh, they may quote the Bible. They may have tradition. It may, may seem like it's reality, uh, but really, that's, it's not spirituality. It's not a relationship with God. It's some empty tradition. Uh, don't fall into that. It's not good enough. It's not going to work. So we got to move beyond that. Uh, think again about a house. If you were going to have some work done, let's say you had, uh, I don't know, uh, say some flood damage, and it was nasty, and it's, you know, it's a mess, and there's some mold. So you bring someone in, and I know some people that do this for a living. You bring them in. You say, all right, we need to fix this. Go ahead, clean it out, fix it. But you say, listen, I'm working from home, so I, I need you to not make any noise while you're doing this job, okay? And I don't want any mess either, okay? They're going to look at you like, wait, it doesn't work that way. 
This is a major restoration job. We can't do it without any mess, and we can't do it without making uh, some noise. And if you said, well, well I, I don't want you using your tools because they, they might damage something, they'd say, we can't get this job done without our tools. Well, in a similar way, uh, we can invite the Lord into our life, and, and he's going to use some tools, okay? He's going to use some tools to shape our soul. It's all good. It may be a little painful, but it works. But you have to let him do the job right. Now, we can't outsource jobs on our soul. We can't just say, okay, God, you do it, and I'll give you my soul. I'll come back in a week for it. It doesn't work that way. He, he comes into our life while we're there. It's like someone doing a job where they say, I'm going to teach you how to do this. You're going to do this with me, okay? I'm going to start it, and then you're going to do this. And, and God is that way. He's that type of craftsman. He includes us in the process. So let me talk to you about a few tools, okay? A few tools. And again, this is something you can do during our prayer and fasting season. Four quick tools. Uh, one is simply the Bible. This is a tool the Lord uses. All scripture is inspired. It is profitable. The Lord uses this in your life. You got to get into the Bible. You got to do it. And some people will say, well, I'm not a reader. It's okay. You can listen to it audio. I was talking to a guy that just told me he has an hour commute every day. And so he started listening to the Bible. And there's tons of websites that have this, including our New Life app. And in three months of commuting, he listened to the entire Bible. Wow. He said, it really helped me understand the big picture more. What did he do? He just reclaimed some of that time instead of just using it for you know, a little bit of hodgepodge of this or that. He used it to get right into the word. You were created to consume the word of God, to have this in you. Jesus said, we live not just on bread, but on every word that comes out of God's mouth. So if you say, well, I don't know, I don't get, listen, your soul, maybe it needs to be trained and get in practice and Maybe there's some simple things like, you know, having a modern uh, translation or how, having someone help you understand it. But listen, you were created to understand this. Don't think, well, that's for other Christians. No, you have the ability. You have the responsibility. The Lord will use this tool in your life. It's essential. So that's one. Then along with that is prayer. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 talks about the Bible. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's alive. It's different than any other book. I've been reading the Bible for years. And again, I don't like to watch the same movie twice. But the Bible never gets old because it's always a little different. The Lord is alive, uh, working through it, uh, speaking to your life right where you're at, what you're doing. Uh, it ministers to your soul as you consume it. And then prayer is kind of like responding to God. If the Bible is uh, somewhat listening to God, prayer is talking back to God. And then we listen to God in prayer as well. Uh, so we need to develop our prayer life. Uh, and again, it's good to get around other people and practice this and go through prayers. The book of Psalms is a great way to start. Just pray some of those back to the Lord. Just put your own voice into it. You were created for this. Your soul has this ability. Maybe you haven't flexed that and developed that, but you can do it. You have to do it. And God does amazing things in your life as you use these tools. Another one is fellowship, other people. Uh, Hebrews 3 says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's some things that are deceptive, some blind spots we have. We're only going to overcome them if we allow other people to be in our lives. I hope you have some people that you can talk to about that. I hope you have somebody in this three weeks of prayer and fasting, you could say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut back on a little of this. I'm going to add this to my life. I'm going to dial in some extra time to get in the Bible and less time cooking and cleaning and all this. 
make a plan, make a plan, write it down, share it with a friend. Tell them. Some people pray on the phone together. I talk to two guys every week. We, every week we have some time. We talk about what's going on, how, what's the good and the bad. And this week, and we pray together. Uh, it, it's encouragement. It's accountability. It's growth. We're built for relationships. You need that. I hope you have that. If not, that's part of what coming to events and small groups is all about, finding that. And then one more, fasting. You knew I was going to get to it. The Lord uses that tool in your life. There's something about it. It it, kind of breaks some of that hard ground, some of that stuff we got to get out of there. Now, you need to figure out what works for you. And I know some people work real physical jobs, but there's a lot of ways to fast. Uh, Let me mention, fasting in the Bible always has to do with food. There's some way you can cut back. We eat a whole lot in America, don't we? I mean, you can cut back on to start with certain types of food. Let me encourage you this week before we get to next Sunday is the official start of the fast. This week is not the week to gorge yourself and be like a bear getting ready for hibernation, okay? I've done that. It doesn't work. This is like the preseason, like a preseason for a sports team where they're practicing, they're exercising, getting in shape for the real season. So use this as, uh, this week to warm up. A cut back on some things. Maybe you don't eat after 7 p.m. Maybe you cut out all desserts. Maybe you do some, go vegan for a few days if that helps you. Something that, that cuts you back on your, your food so it's not so consuming. Uh, and, and dial in some more time here with the Bible and prayer and fellowship. One thing that works for some people, simply put your phone in another room at night. Maybe get an old school alarm clock. They still sell them. And when that alarm clock goes off, you got your Bible right by you. You just pick it up and start reading. You could do it while you're in bed, before you go do anything else, before you get distracted with texts and emails and everything else. Just open the Bible. If you don't know where to start, I would encourage you, just get in the book of John. Very simple. One of the probably clearest books straightforward about Jesus. Again, our app has a reading plan. There's tons of them out there. It's not really that complicated. It's just difficult. When I talk to people about this every year, I know because our our flesh, our our natural self doesn't want to do this a lot of people seem confused. Like, I'll talk to people, and it's funny. I'll say, you know, the conversation comes up. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm just not sure. It's like I'm asking them a calculus problem, right? Like, I just don't know where to start. I have no idea. Like, it's not really that hard. It's just difficult. We're, we're, we're hesitant to jump in. Make a plan. Make a plan. Make it something that's stretching and get in there. Some people, too, a media fast is extremely helpful. Uh, whether it's this time, that time, figure out what works for you, what you need to do. Here's the thing. The Lord wants to do something in your life. The bread table is not enough. There's things he wants to do in your soul, but you got to give him some time. You got to give him some time. You got to give him some, some energy. You got to give him some of the best of what you have, which we often give to food. There's a time to say, Lord, I want you to do a work in me right now. Allow the Lord to use those tools to work in you. You can be a different person 